Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Last week we began a series of topical sermons as a result of the strategy meeting that your council held. Uh, Willie, Freddie, Caesar, myself, Pastor Dan, Pastor Sam met for a whole day and we went through a SWOT test. Some of you know what that is, S-W-O-T. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And we designated a number of areas in which we were as a congregational ministry week. And uh, this series is attempting to address those weaknesses in order that we might convert them uh, to be strengths in the coming year. One was corporate prayer, which we began to address uh, last week, and I'm very thankful and encouraged by the response uh, that to that sermon uh, Tuesday night at our prayer meeting. And of course, you're free to form other uh, groups. Uh, we changed the time so that people would be easier for more people to attend. Um, and if you're unable to do that, feel free to reach out to others in the congregation and say, hey, let's meet in the morning on phone or Zoom and pray or in the evening or whatever. Uh, you may want to do, uh, so that together we are praying. Another was um, worship. Uh, in uh, We have two worship services. Another was evangelism, and another was tithing, and we'll be addressing those in the upcoming three weeks. Today, uh, we're addressing uh, every member ministry, and uh, we'll be reading from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, uh, but looking at some other uh, verses as well. And uh, if you don't know what that refers to, it will soon become apparent. So uh, let's pray and uh, read God's word together. Father, we come to your word and ask that you would speak, for your servants are listening. We are listening with ears, uh, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that he would circumcise our ears that they would not just be auditory notes uh, on our eardrums, but that it might penetrate to our hearts and therefore there bring forth great fruit for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, we'll read the first 16 verses. This is the word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Four points to the sermon this morning. Uh, First of all, the gospel. Secondly, the gift, singular, the gift of Christ. Secondly, the gifts, plural, of Christ. And fourthly, the goal for which the gifts are given. So the goal of the gifts. So the gospel, the gift of Christ, the gifts of Christ, and the goal of the gifts. Well, let me begin by asking, what is your ministry at Messiah's Reform Fellowship? That's a question addressed not to you corporately, but to you each individually. What is your ministry at Messiah's Reformed Fellowship? As our elder reminds us each Lord's Day, we are as a congregation called to make a difference by being different. That is, by being counter-cultural. And we have focused on that in many uh, ways, especially as we went through the book of Ephesians not long ago. Um, And one of the ways in which we are called as a church to be counter-cultural is to push back against the consumer mentality, against the consumer mentality. And a consumer mentality has afflicted Christians and afflicts the Christian church as well in many places and uh, uh, at Messiah's as well. Uh, That is, we come to get, uh, we don't come to give or to serve. People come to hear a good sermon. People come because Pastor Dan is reformed. We come because it's a confessional congregation. We come to get, but we don't come to serve. Now, I immediately need to pause here and say that is certainly not true of everybody here. And by actually addressing this, I run the risk, as is often the case in my experience in preaching, is that the people who are going to feel the most convicted by this are the people that least need to hear it. All right? So let's get that clear. There are many, many, many people that are actively engaged in the ministry of this congregation, without whom uh, it would be very difficult. And believe me, over the course of 20 years, oh, and I should pause here, we just passed our 20th anniversary. Uh, last Sunday, was the 20th anniversary of Messiah's Reform Fellowship. The first Sunday in February um, 2003, we started worship uh, downtown. And I would say that probably for almost half of our time, uh, the ministry uh, was largely dependent on um, my family and a handful uh, of people. That has dramatically changed, and I'm very thankful, and those of you, uh, without naming you, know who you are, uh, who come and set up and make all kinds of uh, things work in the life of this church, and thank you very much for doing that. So you're not addressed uh, by this, but that's not everybody. And we, in order to be countercultural, we can't just have a consumer mentality in the church. We can't think of church as a place to go. We need to think of a church as a people who go. All right? We need to think of every member having a ministry in the congregation. 
unless you think this is just an idea that's coming from council as a result of our all-day Saturday meeting, or unless you think that this is my personal pastoral uh, hobby horse or uh, somehow seeking to guilt manipulate you into this, look, if you will, at the Word of God. Look at verse 12 in our text. Or actually, begin in verse 11. We'll look at this more in a moment. But he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, or shepherd teachers, all right? For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is, it's not Pastor Dan's job or my job or the leadership's job to do the ministry of the church. Many people think that, all right? Many people in evangelicalism, North American evangelical, oh, the minister uh, does the ministry, or the leadership, the officers do the ministry. But look at the text, please. I am a shepherd teacher, okay? And my job is to equip you to do the ministry. You are to do the ministry, all right? The ministry of this church is dependent on each person doing that. Look at verse... Uh, 16, and we'll look at this more uh, momentarily as well, when each part is working properly, right? That means there's no absences. That means there's nobody that's exempt. means there's nobody that doesn't have a role to play. Or if you will, it means every member is to have a ministry in the church. We'll get to what that may be, possibilities, momentarily, all right? But the point, simply at the outset here, is to say, what is your ministry in this church? All right? Okay, so let's begin with the gospel, all right? Because we ought not to be motivated by guilt, all right? And I want to be very clear on this, right? Guilt is a very powerful motivator, very powerful. I can't go into that as extensively as I'd like to. But it's a very powerful motivator. And a lot of times, when it comes to ministry in the church and various ministries, preachers guilt people into doing things. All right? I, don't, I am not interested in that. All right? But the gospel is what should be the motivation. Not it, not the pastor manipulating people by... Uh, uh, selectively picking texts, right, and uh, beating people up with them, but the gospel is what ought to motivate people. So let's begin with the gospel as a motivational force in the life of a Christian, all right? Look at verse 1, okay? Now, therefore, now, at the risk of insulting your intelligence, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you should immediately think it's therefore a reason, all right? And therefore is a conjunction, all right? Now, I failed English grammar, so let me spell that out for you, all right? A conjunction joins with. What does it join with? Conjoin, right? It joins what comes before with what comes after, all right? That's why therefore is there. So what is it joining? It's joining chapters 1, 2, and 3 with... Walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What's the calling with which you have been called? It's the gospel. What does it join with? Walk in a manner that's consistent with the gospel. Let the gospel motivate you. And what is it that we learn in chapters 1, 2, and 3? 
You know this because we've been through the book of Ephesians and you're good Bible students. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's not one command. There's not one imperative. There's not one instruction. It's all about what God has done in Jesus Christ, right? God looked down upon a hopeless and a helpless race of sinners. That's me. That's you. And did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You were hopeless and helpless. You were dead, Ephesians 2, in your transgressions and sins. All right? You were hopeless. You were helpless. There was nothing you could do to, uh, to save yourself. And God reached down from on high in love, right, and plucked you as a brand from the fire and rescued you because of what Jesus Christ did in his life, his death, and resurrection. He died to save you from the penalty of your sins. He died to redeem you from the power of sin, to set you free. All right, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he died ultimately to set you from the presence of sin when he will take you to be with himself for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. So let us be very plain. Let us be very clear, all right? This is not guilt manipulation. This is gospel manipulation, all right? Paul has spelled out in chapters 1, 2, and 3 what God has done for hopeless, helpless sinners in Jesus Christ. And if you are one of those hopeless and helpless sinners that God has done for you in his son, all right, then this is a word that's spoken to you. Therefore, right, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What's the calling to which you have been called? Chapters 1 through 3, right? What's walking in a manner? Chapters 4 through 6. And he begins in chapter 4 by talking about the unity and the purity of the church. We're going to talk about the unity of the church specifically, all right? So, chapters 4 through 6 demonstrate that God's grace freely given to hopeless, helpless sinners in Jesus Christ changes people. It changes them. And what does it change? It changes them into love for the church as the body of Christ, all right, and a desire to serve Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me. I want to love him and serve him. And that's walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, all right? So gospel, let's be very clear, right? Gospel. Secondly, though, the gift of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You may or may not know, or you can ask Richie Forty, our Greek scholar here, that grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, all right, charis, all right, or gift, all right, grace, all right? Grace was given. What grace? Well, the grace that's been spoken of in the preceding verses. Verse 3, the unity of the Spirit, and there's one body and one Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, all right? So let's spell this out, okay? Every Christian, all right, everybody who has trusted in what Jesus Christ has done, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Everybody who has true faith, as we studied in the 1030 service, all right? Everybody that, every Christian, by very definition of being a Christian, has the Holy Spirit. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, nobody can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So every Christian, by definition, has the Holy Spirit, all right? That's the gift that Jesus Christ has given to everybody who trusts in him, all right? And truth be known, uh, if you can't say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't hear and you can't see uh, Jesus apart from the Spirit either. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, says the man without the Spirit does not understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned, all right? The Holy Spirit has to give you eyes to see and ears to hear and give you new life, give you a new heart, right, in order to be a Christian. So you are indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? Verse 8, verse 8. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is a citation of Psalm 68. It's a reference to the ascension of Jesus Christ. What is the ascension of Jesus Christ? Christ raised from the dead, right, three days after his crucifixion on the cross of Calvary, and for a period of 40 days, he preached the kingdom of God. And then, uh, we have it recorded for us at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts, he ascended into heaven. The ascension is the occasion when Jesus Christ is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. It is the fulfillment of Psalm 68. And because we live in a, di- uh, a democracy and uh, United States of America, we don't have the rich heritage which would lead us to inherently Uh, understand what's being referenced here as Europe does. In Europe, they have monarchies. That is, they have kings and queens. Uh, King Charles, Charles, yeah, King Charles is going to be crowned. Uh, His coronation is upcoming, I believe, right? Well, the ascension is the occasion of the coronation, all right, of Jesus Christ. He's being crowned with honor and glory at the right hand of the Father. He is pronounced King of Kings and Lord of Lords now. Very important. That's another subject. However, if you, you, none of you, well, some of you are old enough, but if you could remember when Queen Elizabeth was crowned, all right, she gave gifts to every subject in Great Britain on the occasion of her coronation. I don't know if Charles is going to do that, all right? Michelle can tell you whether he is or not. She's the uh, royal expert, all right? So, but when Queen Elizabeth was crowned, she gave gifts to every subject. Everybody who had a British passport got a gift from the queen because it was the occasion of her coronation of her, uh, over her subjects, all right? Well, because... That is a reflection of what we find here in the Bible, all right? When Jesus Christ was crowned, he gave gifts to his subjects, which are the church, all right? So that's the reference. You got it? All right, look at the text. And he gave, verse 11, what are the gifts? Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers, all right? Remember this, a shameless word of uh, self-promotion here, all right? Your pastor is God's gift to this church. All right? The Bible says so. The Bible says so, all right? That's it. No more self-promotion. All right, very good. 
Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, all right. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, right? But he also gave gifts to every subject of his realm. That is, every member of his church, okay? And the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. That is, gifts of the Holy Spirit who dwells in Christians that are given by the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ to a Christian in order for the work of ministry, all right? Now, I just want to go through some of them, and I want you to see it in the Bible, because I know you're all from Missouri, the show-me state, right? So look at Romans chapter 12. Turn back, Romans chapter 12. Look at a couple of passages here. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Gifts of grace, right? For by the grace, charis, right? By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, all right? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, all right? Here he's talking about these spiritual gifts. The risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, ascended on high, gives gifts to his subjects. Um, Verse uh, 6b, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, so there you have some gifts, all right? Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are these places in the Bible where uh, the apostle, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to those who have personally indwelt by the Holy Spirit, talks about the gifts of the Spirit that are given to each one, as he talks about the church, as he does in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, also 1 Corinthians 12. So, read with me here. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. One gift, Spirit, many gifts of the Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Underline that, highlight it, underscore, emphasize, full stop. To each is given for the common good. To each for all. To each for all. Read on. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, that's discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. One gift, 
many gifts, plural, all right? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. For the one body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would my sense of smell? But as it is, and get this, this is the closest you get to a proof text for church membership. All right? We, we, we should not be people who proof text things, all right? The Bible is not a collection of isolated proof texts for your doctrinal understanding. The Bible is a book, 66 books, right? Letters written to the church. You need to, right? A text without a context is nothing but a pretext, all right? We don't proof text. But if you want a proof text for church membership, this is the closest you're going to get. Verse 18, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Right? Okay. Read on. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye, if you're following, you can follow along here. Verse 21. Um, Excuse me. Uh, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head or the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There's nobody in this church that ought to be thinking to themselves, I'm a nobody. I have nothing to do here. I don't belong here. All right? There should be nobody who thinks that. Right? See what Paul says? You're indispensable. Well, how am I indispensable? Well, read on. Let's look. And on these parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, but there, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is on, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, multiple and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are they? Look at verse 13 in chapter 13. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. We'll get to that in a moment. All right? Now, notice, back to verse 7. Like in Ephesians 4, God has given gifts... So to pastor teachers to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Why? Because you're the ones that have a variety of gifts. All right? And it's, verse 7, for the common good. It's for the common good. And God has arranged each one of you in this congregation exactly how he chose. With your unique gifts. Right? And verse 27, right, you're, in body, you're the body and individually member of it, right? So, 
Now, I just read a quick list of gifts here, all right? These lists don't exhaust them, but administration, an apostle, discernment, evangelism. There is a gift for evangelism. Exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps. Hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, sometimes notice shepherding, and wisdom. And notice, right, back to Ephesians, is 1 Corinthians 12 for the common good. Ephesians chapter 4, back to our text, right? He has uh, given this, uh, so when each part is working properly, Every member has a ministry, all right? And it's indispensable. You, you, may have, you may have a ministry of helps. You may have the ministry of encouragement. Now, I know some people who have the ministry of discouragement. We don't need them, all right? But you may have the ministry of encouragement. You may have the ministry of giving. You may have the ministry of prayer. You may have the ministry of administration. You may have the ministry of evangelism, right? Whatever it is. But notice, it's for the common good. Can I put it this way? Whatever your gift is belongs to all the other people in this congregation. And whatever their gifts are, belong to you. Now, I happen to think, you may think differently, all though you pay my salary, that I have the gift of teaching and preaching, all right? Now, if I were to go in my closet and stand in the front of the full-length mirror and teach and preach, would any of you benefit from that? No, right? Why? Because my gift isn't for me. My gift is for you. My gift belongs to you, and I need to exercise my gift for you and with you. And whatever your gift is, you need to be exercising it for all these people. And all you people need to be exercising your gift for this one person. Get it? Now, I'm going to cut to the fourth point, the goal of the gifts, and then I'm going to come back. All right? Because it's very important. Look at the goal of the gifts. Verse 12 in Ephesians 4. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. How does the church get built? We're not talking about a building fund here, right? We're not talking about walls and rooms and doors, structures. We're talking about a church being built up, right? Well, by equipping the saints for the work of ministry, right? Or look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, and look at this, joined, verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, We're 20 years old as a congregation, all right? But I trust you would agree with me when I say we've not yet arrived, all right? There have been milestones in our history for which we're very thankful 
and hopefully we'll be celebrating uh, together uh, at some point in the future, all right? But we haven't arrived. We still have to grow. We still have to be built. And that depends on every member doing its part when each part is working properly. That means no matter how unknown maybe you are exercising your gift, maybe you have the gift of prayer, and you can't make it to Tuesday night prayer meeting, but you're up a half an hour early every morning before you, you read because you want to pray for so-and-so in church, or you want to pray for so-and-so, or you're praying for missions. Or maybe God has given you the gift of prayer. Nobody knows that. But God's using that to build the life of this church. There's no insignificant gift. There's no unimportant gift. There's no useless gift. They're all important, significant, and useful in the Lord's hands to build up the church, to grow the church. We're not talking about a structure. We're not talking about numbers. We're talking about growing up into Christ. And that depends on every member doing their ministry. All right? Look at verse 16, how it ends. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to encourage every member of Messiah's Reform Fellowship to prayerfully consider what's your gift? I think if I asked that question to 90% of the North American Evangelical Church today, they wouldn't be able to say what their gift was. So if you don't know what your gift is, that's all right. Because you don't know what it is doesn't mean that you're not using it. But maybe you want to talk to the leadership and say, you know, I'm not sure what my gift is. Or maybe you want to talk to the leadership and say, where, where, where can I serve? What, what is there that I can, can do to help this church grow to be more mature and grow into Christ? One way that you can do that, look at verse 16, in love. In love. I want to emphasize as we, or as I, come to, well, I'm not quite concluded, but as I come close to a conclusion this morning, I want to encourage you all to build one another up in love. There's something very important in the New Testament that's often overlooked in the life of the Christian church, in the life of various congregations, and that is the relationship which we sustain to one another. <clears throat> there, are, uh, there are over 100 verses in 94, I'm sorry, 100 times in 94 verses in the New Testament where that phrase is found, one another. That is, you are to one another, one another. All right? A hundred times. What does that presuppose? That presupposes that we have relationships with each other. It presupposes that we see each other. It presupposes that we interact with each other. Right? So that we can actually one another, one another. Right? <clears throat> this is very important for the life of the church. Okay? Very important. Let me just give you some of these, all right? 
Be at peace with one another. Mark 9. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. I said to somebody last week, I said, it'd be a boring world if we were all the same. Wouldn't it? Accept one another. Yeah? I'm sure, you know, sometimes you leave church, you're talking to somebody, and you're talking about so-and-so, and you say, yeah, it's so-and-so. They got problems. You don't. You don't. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Come on. Accept one another. Right? Wait for one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't challenge or envy one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. Love one another. The most repeated one another command, love one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss. Now, wouldn't that be fun to see some of you guys kissing, huh? Walk in the church. I saw my friend Friday, my friend Gerard. Some of you know my friend Gerard. Before I leave, he's, give me love. Give me a big hug. Give me a Whitman right on the face. Give me a kiss. Give me love. Greet one another with the kiss. Be devoted to one another in love. Uh, wash one another's feet. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. And if I went on for all 94 verses and all 100 examples, I hope you get the point. See, people talk about where in the Bible does it say I have to be a member of a church? Right here. Right here. You can't one another, one another. There's no long range of Christians. We have to one another, one another. And I'm encouraging you to do that, all right? Can I give you a couple of specific ways in which, as a congregation and individually, you can put these, this sermon into practice? Neighborhood groups. Be a part of a neighborhood group, all right? We instituted neighborhood groups because we're a Sunday-heavy church. We rent we're only here for a certain amount of time, one day a week. We try to squeeze, but you can't squeeze everything in. We don't have time for Sunday school. We have some time. We pay a little extra once a month so that we can have a fellowship dinner, right, and get to know one another better, right? And everybody loves that. That's great, right? But we instituted neighborhood groups so that you can do that during the week, so that you can be with one another and you can one another one another during the week. You don't have to wait till Sunday. Neighborhood groups. If you're not in a neighborhood group, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, talk to one of the leaders. We'll find the neighborhood near you. If it's not working, we can shift things around to accommodate you and make it work. All right? We want to do that. We want something, you know, we don't want this to be from the top down. If it's not working, let's work it out another way. All right? But here's another one be in touch with one another. Be in touch with one another. If you don't see somebody in church for two weeks, drop a dime, right? Don't leave it up to Pastor Dan or Caesar or Willie or Freddie to say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a couple of weeks. Where have they been? Better give them a call. If you notice 
somebody hasn't here for a week or two, give them a call, right? This is what Marion Thorpe did when Dolores wasn't here. Dolores had talked to a few people. A few people were thinking of inviting her for Christmas, right? She was here on December 18th, December 25th. Nobody saw her. Where is she? Marion Thorpe called. Let me call Dolores. I'm getting her voicemail. And that started the ball rolling. Unfortunately, it was for quite a number of weeks because of a number of things, and I, I won't go into all the details, but it was simply one sister caring for another sister. I didn't see her. Where is she? Let me drop a dime. Pick up the phone and call. This is very important. Do you, I hope you can see this is like a little minor insignificant thing that has enormous significance and importance. You don't know what it means to somebody that you're thinking about them or praying for them or care about them. You don't know. I know because I hear. I hear from people that say, you know, I wasn't at church for a while. Nobody called. You know what happens to a person like that? Does anybody care? Does my part at Messiah's make any difference? Am I important? Or can I just go my own way? We're a body, right? We need each other. We need to one another one another. Very simple way. Pick up the phone. How are you? There are other people who say, you know, I don't have any friends in church. You want a friend? Be a friend. I had somebody call me from California, all right? Somebody called me from California that said, you know, I'm being kind of uh, encouraged, let's say, to become a member of this church, but, but I, 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 I don't know people. I, I don't know the leadership. They've not really reached out to me. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's very sad, especially in leadership. I said, but you know what? Why don't you, when you get off the phone with me, call, call an elder and say, you know, will you come to my house on Sunday? I'd like to have dinner and get to know you. So if they're not doing it, you do it. You want a friend? Be a friend. Right? Capiche? Entiende? Eh? All right. Spanish. Huh? Got it. <laughs> I started Spanish classes last week. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> so, all right? Okay, back to the text. Wrong page. And he gave gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body, growing up in every way. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I hope Pastor Dan doesn't uh, bring charges against me here, but I actually think this is the fourth mark of the church. Is love. I think in the time of conflict of the Protestant Reformation, when confessional documents were, were formed, they're great. And of course, out of those things, they were seeking to develop what is the true church as opposed to a false church, and they looked to doctrinal uh, statements and and 
teaching of the Bible in order to do that, and that's fine. But surely, love must be the fourth mark of the church. And can I just encourage you? All right? I want to encourage you. Let's end on an encouraging note. The thing that visitors to Messiah's Reform Fellowship say most often is what a warm reception they received when they came here. I felt like I was home. Thank God. Thank you. You know what Paul would say? Do so more and more. Let's grow. Every member has a ministry at Messiah's Reform Fellowship. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide us by your word and spirit to truly love one another in tangible, concrete, specific ways, to use the gifts that you have given us for others, for their well-being, for their edification, for their encouragement, and that you, Holy Spirit, would be at work in us and through us and among us to build up Messiah's Reform Fellowship and grow us as each part works properly. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen.